another episode of Radio Rounds, the podcast interview series presented by St. Louis Children's Hospital, covering pediatric topics of interest to doctors and healthcare professionals. Here's Melanie Cole. Recent survey data shows that many young sexually active women do not undergo routine screening for sexually transmitted infections because they don't see themselves at risk, even though less than half reported using a condom the last time they had sexual intercourse. Here to tell us about this today is Dr. Mary Fournier. She's a Washington University adolescent medicine physician at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Fournier, tell us about the current state of STIs in the millennial generation. What have you been seeing? Well, we definitely see a large um, portion of adolescent and young adults, both men and women, presenting with um, the wide variety of, of uh, sexually transmitted infections. The biggest concern, of course, would be the bacterial STIs, the chlamydia and gonorrhea. The unique thing about this population, generally patients between the ages of 15 and 24, they compromise about 75, I'm sorry, they compromise about 25 to 27% of the sexually active population in the United States, but they actually, especially for the bacterial, um, especially for the bacterial sexually transmitted infections, they carry a huge burden um, of those infections. So about 75% um, of those particular chlamydia and gonorrhea, those particular STIs, are um, diagnosed in this age population. And overall, they, the, the 15 to 24-year-olds are uh, account for about 50% of all STIs, including the viral ones. Do you feel there's a gap in STI awareness among clinicians? Because we know that the media, you know, has been really pushing some of the awareness in the last maybe 15 years or so. Or do you think clinicians are also, there's a lack of use of the screening guidelines for one reason or another? Well, I think there's a couple of different things to think about. I think most physicians are aware that adolescents are at risk for um, sexually transmitted infections, and they generally know that they probably should be screened, but there's, especially with the younger adolescents, the under 18-year-olds who still have parental involvement, there's some concern about how do we provide some of these services, some of the STI screening and treatment um, to an adolescent population when you want to maintain confidentiality because there's some issues around, you know, do we do the testing or offer the testing um, if, you know, the parents might find out through insurances or other other means. And that I think that makes some of the pediatricians out there, primary care providers, a little reluctant to go down that road, especially with the younger adolescents. So then how do you work with your patients in this regard? And what would you tell other providers about that issue with confidentiality, with discussing it with their patients, even with the involvement of the parents? Well, definitely, you know, STI screening and risk and, um, you know, how it's done and what needs to be done should be part of every uh, encounter, um, particularly the um, preventive health care maintenance encounters, those well-child exams, um, you know, starting um, right at the very beginning of adolescence, kind of talking about the risks. And generally, you know, one of the things that we talk about with confidentiality is that while providers maintain confidentiality, a lot of the parents um, are aware of what's going on with their teenagers, want to be aware. And so when I talk to my teenagers about you know, getting screening for their STIs, 
one and, and confidentiality comes up, we sometimes talk about the fact that you know letting your mom and dad know might not be the end of the world if they if they do um, find out about it um, through through insurances they might not be as happy. Now some teenagers prefer um, to go ahead and do the screening without talking to their parents. Um, if their parents find out through insurance, they they take more of a attitude such as you know. I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. If it comes out, it comes out, and I'll deal with it. If they don't, if they want to maintain confidentiality, there are at, there are ways that we can do that. Um, you know, there are clinics around around the St. Louis area um, that can provide confidential services, and we talk about you know getting screening through through those those clinics. In your opinion, doctor, do you think? that at the time when Gardasil is first discussed and the HPV vaccine, because some parents have concerns about that opening that conversation and opening that door yeah. to their teens, would that be a good time, in your opinion, to discuss with the teen or preteen sexually transmitted infections and the damage that they can do? Absolutely. I think um, just in, not that I would, I well, let me rephrase that. I think starting in the preteen years, discussing sexual activity, birth control, consent, the risk of STDs and, and what they can do and how to screen and treat them should absolutely start um, right around the time that you know kids are starting to think about sex, which generally happens around puberty. I would recommend perhaps separating the conversation between HPV vaccination and the rest of the sexual health encounter. I think, you know, this concern that parents have at times with, you know, if I vaccinate my child against HPV, this is basically allowing them, you know, saying I'm okay with them having sex. And that's really the, the, not the message we're, we're endorsing here. You know, we, we know that at some point during their life, during their, whether it's young adult life or beyond, they're going to become sexually active. Obviously, it's just part of a normal, healthy life. But um, the reason we screen at the age we do is to try to get them fully vaccinated before exposure becomes an issue. And the data has actually looked into it. There's been multiple studies kind of looking at if we screen out or if we vaccinate adolescents against uh, against HPV or other STDs like hepatitis B, does this allow you know give the teens um, does it does it change their behavior? And the answer is no. We know that teens who have been vaccinated against uh, HPV do not initiate sexual activity if they've uh, at an at an earlier age if they um, have not already been sexually active. And for those teens who are currently sexually active and become vaccinated against HPV, does it um, encourage them to use sort of riskier sexual practices? Are they less likely to use condoms, et cetera? And the, and the answer to that is no. So really, the, vac the, the data is very clear that the, the vaccination doesn't change their sexual activity at all. So we really want to keep the vaccination message as this really should be a preventative kind of a preventative um, recommendation for you know your your entire life, much like we would vaccinate you against meningitis or you know Tdap, the you know the tetanus and pertussis, because it that's really where it is. It's not you know it's not really relating to their sexual activity during adolescence at all. Are there any new innovative treatment options for STIs, or are we mostly looking at prevention or even STI prophylaxis? Well, what we really want to rec recommend is maintaining um, uh, an appropriate screening uh, screening guidelines. 
you know, we want to definitely assess our adolescents and young adults for their uh, STI risk factors. So adolescents who um, have new sexual partners, have multiple sexual partners, have inconsistent or um, incomplete condom use, you know, outside of a mutually monogamous sexual relationship, these are all patients who um, would generally benefit for sexual, from STI screening. And if you do find, um, if you do diagnose one particular STI in an adolescent, that definitely puts them at higher risk or likelihood of, of having another STI. So we want to make sure we're do, doing comprehensive screening, looking at gonorrhea, chlamydia, um, syphilis, HIV, in, in patients who have been diagnosed with um, any particular STI. And as far as treatment goes, we uh, want to make sure that once we do diagnose it, we get the patients treated, we get their partners treated, um, you know, talking to patients about letting their partners know and how you can do that. Um, through the public health department, there's ways of letting partners of patients know confidentially so they don't really know where the, the information is coming from, just that they should get themselves screened. And then expedited partner treatment is this idea where, for instance, if a patient is diagnosed with uh, chlamydia, which we generally treat with um, oral antibiotics. There's a couple of different protocols for that. Um, we can provide the patient with prescriptions for those treatments that the patient then can, can provide to their, um, their sexual partners, and that can really decrease the risk of spreading the infection or reinfecting um, a patient that's already been treated. So as we're talking about STIs, and we don't have a lot of time, doctor, just give us a little overview of birth control these days and what you're seeing in the millennial population and with their providers. Are they feeling comfortable to ask their providers for this type of birth control? What's going on in the field today? Well, adolescents and young adults, um, you know, their first contact with the medical community for birth control generally is through their primary care physician. So this is really where we want to get the accurate and complete information going. So, you know, the both the American Academy of Pediatrics and uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has really come out and very strongly recommended that the long-acting reversible contraceptive methods such as the hormone implant or the various IUDs should be first line in this population. So really this is what we should be recommending. Um, we want to do comprehensive counseling, so talking about all of the hormonal um, options, whether it's birth control pills, patch, ring, the you know progesterone, the long-acting progesterone shot, and then the the LARCs, the long-acting reversible methods. And while many primary care providers may not, you know, have training or expertise to provide the implants and IUDs, you know, knowing what their referral networks are and getting the patients to those referrals if that is what um, an adolescent prefers to have. And we have seen increased numbers over the last, you know, five or 10 years of an increased uh, uptake of these IUDs and implants in this population. Um, But when you are referring out to those providers, making sure that you offer sort of a bridge method. You know, maybe you prescribe birth control pills um, in the interim before they're able to get to the gynecologist or adolescent specialist to actually get the, the implant or IUD. As you summarize, and this is a very comprehensive topic, doctor, so we yeah. really, there's there's a lot we could talk about, but where do you want providers to 
frame this conversation? How do you want them to frame it for parents and for patients? And what should a pediatrician know about referring to a specialist when necessary? Well, I think a lot of this, um, this these conversations are, are going to happen both with the teen during your confidential portions when you're talking just to the teen themselves, trying to give them the education and the information that they need that they might not be getting from any other place, um, like school or home, and you know, helping them make their own informed choices and supporting those choices and, and, and trying to get you know, them the screening and the, the medications that they need. Um, and with the parents, generally I talk to the parents, um, you know, not breaking confidentiality, but just more in general terms, you know, encouraging parents to talk to their kids about sexual activity, their views on sexual activity, trying to help and support whatever choices the teens make, um, and trying to just encourage open communication between the, te- the teens and the parents. Of course, you want to give the same information to the parents that you're providing to the teens so everybody is on the same page as far as uh, the current risks and, and the current, um, you know, statistics and and uh, informa- you know, safety information about the medications. Um, as far as referring to the primary care uh, from from a primary care provider to a specialist, I think that really varies uh, from provider to provider. Some some providers are extraordinarily comfortable. Um, doing the screening and the testing of STIs or providing birth control, and some really aren't. And I think it really depends on on your comfort level. And and if it's beyond what you're wanting to do, then I think referring is absolutely appropriate. Thank you so much, Doctor, for coming on today and for explaining the current state of STIs and birth control in the millennial population and really giving pediatricians a voice to discuss and primary care providers to discuss these with their patients and their parents and get that discussion going. Thank you again for being with us. A physician can refer a patient by calling Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP. That's 1-800-678-4357. You're listening to Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital. For more information on resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, you can go to stlouischildrens.org. That's stlouischildrens.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.